Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today is my friend and co-host Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. Corey, my brother, how you been? I'm doing good, Mac. It's a divisional round weekend. I mean, what more could you ask for, especially coming off a Cavs dub? I mean, come on. This is one of the best times of the year, no lie. Um, a lot of good football going on, as you know. My Philadelphia Eagles, you know, showed out the other day. Um, it looks like the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills are in a dogfight right now themselves. So a lot of good football still left to be played. But, man, I am not going to sugarcoat it here. The, the Cavs gave a pretty shitty effort against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, it, it was like clear as day that Cleveland thought they had that shit in their pocket before tip-off. And that was probably because half the damn team was rolled out to begin with. Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, and Andrew Riggins were among the Warriors that sat. So as a fan, you know, like you and myself, obviously, <laughs> you could honestly be given, uh, be forgiven for thinking this one would be as close to a blowout as possible. But as a player, I mean, I don't give a fuck who is suited up opposite you. You absolutely cannot enter a game with that type of mentality of already having won the game. And that's what the Golden State game appeared to showcase. Uh, even though there were NBA caliber players on the other side, the Cavs looked like they didn't respect their opponents at all. So, my friend, the Warriors drilled 23 of their 43 total uh, triples attempted. That's good for 53%. Now, that alone wasn't the frustrating part, especially when considering that everybody knows that Golden State will always jack up a ton of threes. Um, They're going to be among the league leaders in threes attempted damn near every season. I mean, they only rank number one in threes attempted (laughs) this season and have consistently ranked within the top five over the past three. So, you would think... You know, JB Bickerstaff and company will look at that scouting sheet, that scouting report, and say, "Hmm, we got to defend the three-point line." <laughs> uh, that wasn't the frustrating part. The frustrating part was how wide the fuck open how many of those threes were. Like, dude, there was, they're just—I don't know. Tell me if it's me. Maybe I'm overreacting to it, but there did not appear to be a deliberate effort there to close out and defend the three-point line. It was way too lackadaisical. So with all of that being said, what can the Cavs do to improve that part of their defense? Where does it start? I mean, I feel like it all just stems from effort, like you were hinting at before. I feel like the worst thing a team could be in the NBA is comfortable. And I think the Cavs, with their start to the year, you know, being what they they kind of were at this beginning last year. But I think with Donovan Mitchell now on the team, there's like a sense of uh, confidence that they didn't have before because they have proven players versus being unproven. And I think when you play a team that's resting as many players as the Warriors were, basically they're starting five outside of Looney then it's easy to see why the Cavs thought that they could just wake up, even without Donovan Mitchell, stroll in, 
and just clean the clock of the Golden State Warriors. Never mind you that we haven't beat the Golden State Warriors in a long time. <laughs> so you would think there would at least be that chip on the shoulder from some players like the Kevin Loves, like telling the guys like, hey, we've been getting our ass kicked by them for quite some time. It is now nine straight, Corey. It is nine straight losses to Golden State dating back to the the start of the second LeBron, the, the start of the second post LeBron era, oh, and nine against them after that loss. Yeah, I mean, the defense was pretty lax. I felt like the offense was pretty lax as well at times. I feel like there was no sense of urgency. It, in the first half, it was like a punch for punch, and then going, you would have expected JB to go into the half tearing the heads off of the players' effort, and they would respond like they did in this Milwaukee game. But instead, it, it was like they just all rolled over in the third quarter, and that's when Golden State point, pulled ahead to the point where there really was no return. I mean, we we got within ten a few times, but even so, like it was one of those cases where, yeah, you finally brought the sense of urgency needed, but that should have been there from the opening tip. Should have been there from Jump Street, and you know we often joke about this with AC on the air saying you, you just got to get it to ten, you just got to <laughs> get it to ten, and it felt like they were on the way towards that, towards the end of that fourth quarter or midway through the fourth, and I thought, hey, maybe this is possible, but the night was just not going well in any instance, and a lot of that was on the Cavs, like the the lack of days of cool defense on the three point line, the lack of closing out, the lack of rotations. Um, and you just you don't like seeing that type of defense out of a very frankly a very talented team like the, the, the team has the pieces to be able to do this we know that guys like Isaac Okoro and Lamar Stevens and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are pretty notable defenders they're pretty good they hold up and you know we just got Dean back we'll talk about him here in a little bit but you had more than enough to compete or dare I say, blow this golden state warriors B team out. And you did like, I think a lot of that just stems from having walking into that game, thinking you already won it. Like it was just going to be a free pass. And we know, uh, golden state fresh off of that, uh, defeat at the hands of the Boston Celtics, uh, in overtime, I believe that, you know, I think the Cavs felt that they would be gassed. They wouldn't have any energy. And, you know, we could assume that that's why they sat so many of their players. And again, all of this is an assumption. Like I am, I cannot definitively say that Darius Garland and company went into that game thinking this is ours. Uh, I, I can't say that. And, and, but I, what I can say is that it appeared that they felt that it was already a win before it, the basketball even tipped off. And so that type of behavior is not going to sit well with most fans. It didn't with myself. And, you know, like for me, most of the time I try and put a positive spin on like all losses, really all games in particular. But it just that went through me for a loop because I, I honestly thought that that eight game losing streak uh, was going to end. And I tweeted out about it and it looked like a complete dumbass after the game. <laughs> but who could have, like, seriously, dude, who could have foreseen that the Cavs would have let Golden State knock down 23 triples with their B team? Like, we're talking about, literally, for Christ's sake, eight of the nine guys who suited up for them in that game knocked down a triple, with the lone exception being one Kavon Looney. Uh, who was the come only on, starter? Get your shit together. <laughs> who was the only <laughs> starter who didn't miss uh, miss the game? Uh, and he honestly actually pissed me off for an entirely different reason. Can you guess what that is? 
because we were inept on the offensive or the the glass whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely, you hit the nail on the head. Looney pulled down 17 rebounds. That's felt more like than it. <laughs> it did. It did. It felt like it should have been 20 plus uh, with the effort the Cavs are putting up. That is more than Evan Mobley and Jared Allen combined. And honestly, bro, like the Cavs actually ranked 21st in the league with 42.4 per game. So I wasn't all that surprised. But when this team was missing so many key players, how do you get out rebounded 45 to 35 when you have Evan Mobley? That's just another case of effort, I feel like. Effort is like one of those – you can't really see it on the stat sheet, they say, but rebounds are such a good indicator of the overall effort. I mean, when you have players who are smaller getting rebounds over the two tallest players on the court pretty much at all times, then there's obviously like some level of effort. There also is a case to be said, and it's been said multiple times on this podcast, that the Cavs desperately need some – form of a backup big because relying on Kevin Love to be the rebounding slash defensive big off the bench is the biggest joke of all time. Defensively, he usually sends it in and his rebounds are he's a great rebounder, but he's like considered to be the only person that's going to try to get boards in some lineups. That's very wishful thinking. I mean, it just comes down to this, man. Do you see a possible solution? Like at this point in time right now, short of acquiring a backup big and some type of transaction, whether that be off the buyout market uh, or the trade market, do you see a possible in-house solution to this? Like, Because I know that you're, you're pointing to effort being the primary concern in regards to that game, but this is something that has become a recurring element. Is there something that we're missing here? Is there something that JB is not not doing I mean, no, it's like if we're trying to look in-house, your options to come off the bench would be to play Diakite more, like use some of his two-way games to get him some time. Robin Lopez, which we've seen the Robin Lopez experience, like he's fine in the sense that you won't worry about him just kind of ghosting himself on the court. But we've seen time and time again, like, Rolo out there is more to like kind of pump up the guys than necessarily create production. I I mean we've had in the past players like Moses Brown come through, which was kind. Of, he was defensively was um, something else, <laughs> but on the glass he really brought something to the table. Dean Wade isn't going to be a rebounding guy now that he's back either. So there, I think for all the, I've said it last podcast, but I feel like all this effort about the Cavs trying to upgrade their wing is. Like, it's nice in theory, but literally wing is the most expensive position to acquire in the trade market and in free agency. So then the Cavs have are working with food stamps at this point to try to acquire (laughs) some new players. So if there was anything we could do to acquire like a good veteran backup, like, like with a Robin Lopez plus second round sweetener then that's something I feel like the Cavs should be looking at more towards the wings because we have enough in mix and match combinations that could make up for that as a short-term solution and then look onwards to next offseason. But this backup big problem to me is a, turning into kind of the Achilles heel of this Cavs team. It definitely hurts, and I don't know if there is an in-house solution at this point because you're totally relying upon Evan Mobley and Jared Allen to stay healthy. Uh, during the duration of the season to which we saw how that played out last year which is why we ended up with Moses Brown to begin with Max favorite player (laughs) I liked uh, some of the things that he did I felt like from a defensive standpoint he he probably 
would give you more than Robin does, but offensively speaking, just not there at all. Uh, which is why, you know, you have developmental guys like Diakite, you know, you, you have Khalifa Diop overseas right now, guys that you're just kind of taking a chance on um, in, in, in the future. So that could be their play, and that could be the reason why they don't feel like shipping out assets because they may plan on getting a Diakite, not Diakite, they may plan on getting Diop over uh, after the season. Who knows? But I don't know if there's an in-house solution at this point. Uh, so the Cavs just got to step it up. I mean, that's that's the bottom line, I guess. Um, if you're going to be natural, though, to have these dips. I mean, you and I, Mac, I feel like we're both level-headed guys. True. We 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 don't follow the course of Cavs Twitter for the most part, where every game is either this team is going to the championship, or God damn it, this team is atrocious, and we need to get rid of everyone on the staff and everyone not named Darius Garland. Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley, even though sometimes Evan Mobley's name gets thrown around for some unknown reason. And yeah, no matter what happens, like, oh, no one's going to look back and be like, huh, you know, one of those 82 games during the regular season that Warriors won in the middle of <laughs> fucking January really showed that this Cavs team is not it. <laughs> like, they're not going to do anything. You see that so frequently, though. After a very, like, uh, a blowout win by the Cavs, you see the praise being poured out about championship level. This is what it's going to take. This is how we're going to get there. This is the blueprint. Shit like that. And then you see in a bad loss, or really any loss in particular, people are so quick to switch up on the Cavs. They're so quick to call them out, say that they don't deserve our support, say that they give up on us. Just like the the vitriol that's that's thrown out there on Cavs Twitter or social media in general about this team, it's just ridiculous a lot of the time. And I'm not going to tell anybody how to fan because everybody fans a little bit differently, frankly. But, you know, there is a sense of level-headedness I feel like we should all strive to have because this is a learning process for many of these Cavs. It's, it's something that you have to be patient with. And I was interacting with somebody the other day and I was like, dude, if you went through three to four plus seasons of like putrid basketball to get to this point before you even sniff the play in, you know, the rest of the season is not going to kill you. Like you can be patient. Let this thing gel. Uh, let these guys get healthy because there have been a lot of guys miss a game here or there. You know, we know we're without Donovan Mitchell right now and other Cavaliers have missed portions of the season. So as the season wears on, I say all that to say, just give it some time. And so, you know, that's a great segue into something a little bit more happier, you know, something that's satisfying compared to that completely just despicable performance against the uh, Warriors B team. And that is the Cavaliers game against the Milwaukee Bucks who were shorthanded. Uh, and like I said, you know, typically I put a positive spin on all these games, but this one was just a little bit more satisfying. And although the Bucks were without Giannis, although they were without Chris Middleton, this game was pretty special. And why was this game so special, you might ask? Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen who may be living under a rock or didn't have enough time to watch this game, it's because Evan Mobley, yes, our young phenom, went buck hunting. <laughs> he scored a career-high 38 points on Milwaukee with the most impressive part being that Mobley took 27 shots, which is a great thing because people want him to keep getting more and more attempts. He made 19 of them and only attempted a single free throw. That puts him in rare company, 
with only Hakeem Olajuwon, Alex English, George Gervin, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Those are the only players in NBA history who have ever put up a stat line like that. So, Corey, with is this type of performance sustainable? Is it something the Cavs should try and replicate by force feeding him more and more often instead of constantly relying upon Garland and uh, Mitchell for their main offensive uh, main offensive options? I think you know it's funny for as often as I feel like Cavs Twitter roasts Brad Doherty. I think he kind of put it best where he pointed out that there was no way that. Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez were able to handle the mobility and versatility of Evan Mobley. And that's obviously no slight against Brooke Lopez, who's one of the leading candidates for defensive player of the year on a Bucks team that is somewhat similar to the Cavs solely reliant on their defense to generate offense. It feels like at times and Evan Mobley made Brooke Lopez looked more like Robin Lopez last night because the way that he was <laughs> no, going around. No him, slight to Robin, by the way, again. No, 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 none at all. I love Rolo. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, Mobley, you could tell from the opening jump, he was hungry for buckets. It was unlike anything we really have seen from Evan Mobley. And I said this on Twitter, but I felt like the part that I thought was the most um, noticeable of his career night, besides the fact that he did it on no threes and no free throws made, was that he really played within himself. And it didn't feel like one of those high scoring games where it was solely due to the amount of attempts he had. It was just pure efficiency, knowing exactly where to strike. He was doing his little mid-range jumpers. He was doing some hooks. He was getting good feeds from Darius. I mean, that was like the quintessential Evan Mobley. This is where his game is right now, and he is mastering it. And that was really important for this Cavs team because we have a lot of players on this team that can score a lot of points, but they need a lot of attempts to get there. And the the fact that Mobley didn't have to do that just shows like how exceptional of a player he can be. Absolutely. I think exceptional is the, the best word to describe last night's performance. Uh, you know, Mobley, again, 27 shot attempts, hit 19 of them, so incredibly efficient. Did not make a single free throw because he only took one. So, I mean, that's what you love to see. A lot of the times when you see a guy score 35 or more, there is a solid number of free throw attempts that comes along with that. And there's nothing wrong with being able to do that because, you know, in the past we've clamored for guys being able to get to the line whenever they, you know, (laughs) whenever they head to the paint, which we've seen that a lot of times already this season with Donovan Mitchell, who is very adept at drawing fouls. Uh, Darius Garland appears to be getting a little bit better at that. Uh, They're just – is something special about a player, especially a front court player, a guy who you would think with that would be getting beat up, you know, like Giannis does, you know, drawing a ton of free throws. There's something special about a player who is able to score that efficiently without knocking down any threes, without knocking down any free throws. That's just that's just awesome. And it wasn't, you know, obviously this was Mobley's night. There was no Giannis. And as you said, Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez, it was clear from the jump that neither of those two guys could handle Mobley defensively. So they just kept feeding him and they made it. It looks like they made an effort to like uh, there was countless possessions in which uh, there was a lot of rolls to the rim. um, A lot of Darius Garland and Evan Mobley action down there. um, Ricky Rubio, whenever he was in 
just a, a hell of an effort to get Mobley involved after they saw that he was hot. Um, it wasn't just Mobley who was who was good on the night, though. Darius Garland finished with a double-double himself, 21 points, 10 assists, 9 of 16 from the field, and he only canned one triple. Um, just absolutely incredible performance from him, and he's been balling as of late, although the Cavs' record uh, doesn't make him seem like he's been playing too well. Uh, so for you know this team moving forward, when Donovan does return to full strength, is there a case to be made that a player should be taking a step back to get Mobley more touches? I mean, I feel like the Mobley that we saw was a byproduct of Donovan Mitchell being out because, you know, mouths, more mouths were able to be fed when your star scorer is uh, sitting on the, the bench while he rests a groin injury that is taking, like, way longer to heal than anyone would have thought. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I think – like the best case for Mobley to finish the out the year would be he's like scoring like 20 a game. I'm not expecting like him to take this astronomical leap whatsoever. I think if anything, he could start to eclipse Jared Allen in touches if he hasn't already. But I feel like between the two of them, when the guards are back, that's like a night to night thing. They kind of just yo-yo back and forth on who's going to get more touches based on the matchup. I mean, obviously Mobley is much more mobile of a player than most at his position. And that's why he was able to take advantage of the Bucks last night because they have two more traditional bigs in Bobby Portis being like a more traditional power forward and Brooke Lopez being a more traditional center and build, not in play style whatsoever, because that dude is an <laughs> absolute flamethrower from the three-point line, as we all know <laughs> from uh, the first Bucks matchup where he carved us a new one. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to see an Evan Mobley ascension, but at the same time, if Donovan and Darius are healthy, I don't necessarily think that's the make or break for this team. I just think he, if he has the mindset of being as aggressive as he was before, that opens up a lot. It doesn't necessarily need to translate to points. It's like the Isaac Okoro theory where it's like, Isaac, if you are like at all a threat offensively and you have some gravity <laughs> to you, you open up so much more for this offense than just being a player that the, the team knows that you're just going to be connective tissue. Yeah, I mean, that's completely fair to say. And that's kind of where I'm at, too. Like, due to the current formation of this roster, due to the current pecking order, we know that this is not likely to be a common occurrence. Like, 30-plus points. Hell, 25 and above seems like kind of a stretch on a nightly basis for Evan Mobley, considering the offensive firepower that they do have at their disposal. Uh, when you got Mitchell averaging damn near 30, you got Darius averaging – almost, you know, well, well, well over 20 points a game and you have Jared Allen, you know, doing what he does, you're just not likely to see this be a common uh, a common occurrence, to be frank, especially with Isaac Coro playing a lot better offensively as of late. And, you know, again, I got to say it because he <laughs> just continues. And I've been saying this for the last few episodes, man. I, I continue to be very, very enthralled with this progression that a coral has showcased i know like a lot of people if you're not a cavaliers fan nine points on three of five from the field is not going to sound like anything All star. special <laughs> yeah, it's like every but every time i post one of these stat lines by a on twitter it's like a coral is a top five pick that's not special it's not something we should be happy about and i'm like fuck off let my boy flourish exactly but it's like okay 
the thing that you need to keep an eye on with the Coro is one, the confidence. Look at just like it's it's not necessarily something that's tangible, but you can see it. You can see it when he's taking shot attempts. You can see it when he receives the ball. He is no longer looking timid. Even when uh, in those occasions in which he, he'll get kicked the ball out on the perimeter when he's still trying to pump fake his uh, his defender into oblivion to drive past him, <laughs> that's happening less and less frequently. And we know like the, the book on Isaac Okoro right now, if you're a defender, is, hey, this guy can't shoot worth a lick, so why don't we just go ahead and not pay too much attention to him, let him have his wide open shot, and we'll be a better position for a rebound. That's not necessarily the case anymore. As you know, he only took two attempts last night, which is kind of the norm for him uh, moving forward. But he hit one of them, and that's be- that's can that's becoming a consistent thing for him. I, I believe he is twenty six of fifty six. It's either twenty six of fifty six or twenty six of fifty four in his last uh, in his last attempts, and and I believe that's over a twenty two game stretch now. So it, that's that's half the season for him. Uh, it's something that's becoming he's becoming a reliable shooter. I'll just I'm not going to mince words anymore on that. So as you like to say a lot of the time, man, if he can add anything offensively, it's kind of like icing on the cake. It's something if you become <laughs> a threat. <laughs> you see what I did there? Oh, yeah. Uh, Wordsmith. <laughs> uh, it's it's something that you can look to and say, hey, this is a very formidable five like uh you know starting five because not everybody is going to put up a ton of points somebody has to give somewhere and okoro is that guy unfortunately for him but i think he's comfortable in that uh, it does not put too much pressure on him to go out there and provide offensive production now that's a different story if one of these guards is injured uh but <laughs> you know it, it's it's something to which you have to feel good about just moving forward i don't know about you but i totally am well, as the the president of Isaac Okoro's fan club, I would expect no less for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really funny, though, because I was just thinking about it as you were talking about Isaac. If you like the I wish someone out there, maybe this will be something I do in the future, uh, like had a weekly power ranking of the Cavs starting five or uh, Cavs wings and like where you would have them ranked. It wouldn't like when the season started. Obviously, it was like Jetty and then everyone else. <laughs> and then then Lamar started coming into the fold. Everyone's like, oh, Lamar has to be the three. This makes the most sense. And now it's transitioning to the weirdest part where it's like, all right. So it's going to be Okoro, Karis, then Jetty, and then Lamar, and then 10,000 feet below the Earth's crust, Dylan Windler. <laughs> Do you consider Dean Wade a wing? Uh, well, that's a great point. I just, I guess, you know, as time has gone on and I I just haven't seen him in so long, he hasn't been factored in, but (laughs) I'll put Dean Wade right now as an NA because, you know, it's been a while and I'm not judging that last game as like, all right, so Dean sucks. (laughs) Like what's the deal? Nice block. Yeah, that. That was something, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, it's super interesting to see like the ebbs and flows of the three for the Cavs this year. It's just, it's, it's really funny to look at like 10,000 feet up. Like if you're not like just hoping that one of these players is going to turn into the player of the future and you just enjoy the entertainment of like this cast of characters all vying for one spot. It's, it's pretty crazy that a team this good is still trying to figure out a key 
part of their starting five. I think that's just going to be the case for the rest of the season, to be honest. It's probably going to be a revolving door. Um, we had some content that we put out earlier uh, uh, a couple weeks ago about that. But I do think that it's going to be something that is not solved anytime soon. Um, you're kind of right in the hot hand as they are with Isaac right now. And, you know, hopefully that continues to be the case. And even if Isaac doesn't lock down that position for the foreseeable future, hopefully he continues to do this enough to uh, – to render himself an invaluable part of this team's rotation. Um, Dean Wade, you know, we just talked about him. In his return to action, he only saw 10 minutes, only had a rebound, did have a nice block, like I pointed out. But he's not – obviously, he's not there yet. Um, you know, he, he's got to get his feet under him. And it's not like he's been out for, like, a super long amount of time, but there's nothing like getting back into game shape and he has to be able to do that. And unfortunately for him, um, as the season has weared on, he's kind of been like the forgotten man in regards to the starting lineup because there were a lot of people. And I think at some points, including you and myself, where we're like Dean Wade should be starting. Uh, but (laughs) that, that point has passed at, at least at this point in time. Like I know, when healthy, what Dean can provide. And theoretically speaking, like we have often said about Dylan Windler, um, he he's a great fit with this starting lineup. But unlike Dylan Windler, we've actually seen Dean put that on the court. We've actually seen him put that, you know, that type of play in action. And it's something that I, for him, I hope continues to be, uh, continues to be the case, but I just don't know. Because this is a deep roster now. It's very different from when he first got injured. As you now know, Ricky Rubio is back. So there are fewer minutes to go around. And that that's for everybody. I mean, when you look at the uh, the lineup that JB played last night, I, he went, let's see here, 11 deep. I think he played 11 last night. And Dean <laughs> uh, only got 10 minutes. So he needs to check on JB. He's obviously mentally unwell. <laughs> this is very off brand for him. <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, we didn't even talk about this in the Golden State portion. People, as you saw, you know, JB has his fans and he has his naysayers. And I'm trying to be like optimistic in regards to him. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say there aren't times when he completely pisses me off with his rotations, when his lack of urgency, when. He still can't get timeouts right. I, I feel like <laughs> like in late game situations, uh, he, he just does not get some things right. But I'm still a believer in JB. I think it's way too early to call it on him. But is there after that Golden State game, was there a part of you that felt JB's not the guy? No, I feel like that's just like, yes, it's like a coach's job to like – get his team prepared for situations. I doubt JB walked into team meetings and was like, guys, I'm going to be real with you. This Golden State team, they're a bunch of scrubs. We can (laughs) wake up and roll them over. Yeah. I I feel like it's like, it comes down to the players too. Like a coach can scream at you all you want, but like, if you aren't like open to receiving a message, then (laughs) if you think in your head, like, yeah, whatever coach, like it's the, it's the the Santa Clara warriors we're playing right now. (laughs) This is going to be fine. I think there was definitely a lot of that. I think this team respects JB more than anything. You can tell that it's not a case of like he's lost the room. I think actually getting rid of JB would like ruin a lot of relationships on that team because if there's anything this team does have, it's culture. 
And the vibes. That's what the thing was. The vibes are immaculate. How many times do we hear that? I mean, look at like teams like the Hawks that they can't stand their coach and they're waiting with bated breath for him to be let go, even though it was only like two seasons ago that they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, it was kind of a fluke, but it, they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. And um, it's like JB isn't an offensive coach. We all know that. That's why we bring in offensive assistants and the defense is his bread and butter as a coach. And what is the Cavs main strength? Their defense. And it's usually very solid. And sorry, the Golden State Warriors. They're still top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating, by the way. Yeah, I mean, if the <laughs> you could have taken that three point percentage, applied it to anyone else and like <laughs> then no one was going to beat that. It was just un, it's unfair to think that a Cavs team was going to respond to a Golden State team going nuclear with like only two of their players shooting below 50 percent from three. <laughs> uh, you know, it was obviously um, for me a fluke. It's not like to me, I don't think that's going to be the norm for Golden State moving forward. Like I said, they take the most threes in the league. They're probably going to make most threes in the league by virtue of that or somewhere up there in the top five. Um, but you know, speaking to the the point about JB, like we know he's a relationships guy. He's he's very got whatever JB has said, he's got them to buy in. Um, now, from a coaching perspective, from assignments to being able to change things on the fly to being able to call plays out of timeouts, things just a lot of gripes that I've heard from Cavs fans. Um, some of it is warranted, but. At times, I feel like we just get way too into this, oh, well, we need to fire him. Shit's not happening right now. I feel like we get into that mentality way too often because there is no Ty Lue on the bench. There's no guy coming to save the day. Uh, you don't want Luke Walton running the show. We saw how that ended in, uh, you know, in Sacramento, although he did have that really good stretch with the Warriors, but that was with the Warriors. Uh, you know, LA championship was cool. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not necessarily something you want to to do, especially mid-season. Now, if I, you know, to begin the season, I did, I, I do recall us having this conversation in regards to like, is this a make or break season for JB? And I do believe that, you know, to a certain extent. I feel like if this team goes and flames out in the postseason, or if they miss it entirely, they go to the play-in again. I do think you're going to start questioning. And I, not just us, I feel like the, the organization itself is going to question whether or not JB is the guy. But if the team goes into the playoffs, wins a series, and then you know goes out in five or six in the next, I would consider that to be enough to keep JB around. Like considering that the Cavs entered the season with the mindset that this was not title or bust. Uh, but that's just me. Uh, so before we close out of here, just want to get you on record again. Do you think, like, is this season still make or break for JB? I mean, like you said, like, if worst case scenario happens and the Cavs, like, fall into the play-in game, then, mm -hmm. yeah, I would say so. But if this team remains, like, top five in the East, I think <laughs> it's warranted to have another go-around. Yeah, I think that's fair, considering everything. Like, you, you built this up with him. You got to at least g give him longer than just this season to showcase that. Uh, I, I think that you have to be uh, aware of the fact that he is very much a player's coach, and you're going to, like you said, upset a lot of players, I think, if you get rid of him at 
at a certain point in the season. So I think we just need to cool it with that at this point. But we all know that that is not this fan base's best attribute is letting things go uh, so quickly. <laughs> I think if you're a Cavs fan, just like do – if I could prescribe you something, I would just tell you take a Xanax after a game and relax because <laughs> you guys are fucking ridiculous. If I have to go through one more Cavs loss with like – Everyone under the under the sun going like this team is over. This season is over. It's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Cavs fans. Um, your football team was dog shit this year. If you want to just move on to another team and just get upset over it again, go for it. <laughs> I don't know. It's a mentality. And like I said, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and tell anybody how to fan. I will say I will <laughs> just we just have to like cool it. We just got to calm down a little bit, have, be a little bit more patient. Uh, there, this is still a learning process for many of these calves. This core is still very young. Um, and there are still questions to, to be answered, you know, like the Karis Levert contractual situation, like what you're going to do with Kevin Love, yada, yada. There are a lot of different things to still figure out, but this is early on in early enough in the season and still early on in the portions of these players' careers that you still have a wide-open championship window if things fall out correctly. And so we don't need to rush things even more than we already have. The Donovan Mitchell trade already expedited the process, but it is still a work in progress. This is not title or bust just yet. And with that said, like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to it's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and we'll send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Go Cavs. <laughs> When your space has the long-lasting, noticeable scent of Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist, you'll want to invite everyone over. From book club to reality TV watch parties, even the in-laws. It smells amazing. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is infused with two times more essential oil versus regular Airwick Essential Mist for our most authentic, nature-inspired fragrance experience. Airwick Vibrant Essential Mist is perfectly portable and effortlessly easy. The way fragrance should be. Now that's a breath of fresh Airwick.